This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 137 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue. Scott McLaughlin is day-to-day with flu-like symptoms. He's not feeling too well, so he is not in the lineup today. No, unfortunately. he's... I just got off the phone with him, and he has already taken his NyQuil and gone off to bed, so... He, yeah. He, he fought through it last episode, and then he thought he turned the corner, and then today he just got... He just got hit with it, so he didn't come to the garden for today's game against the Hurricanes. Yeah. So, so I actually I actually stole his seat because his TV was working and mine wasn't. So hopefully he's just sitting at home with a you know hot turkey sandwich leftovers and watches some Netflix or something. But we'll miss him for this episode. But we'll have to make do. Um, so is that Bridget- what you say when I'm gone? Eh, something like that. I just you know I, I fluff I fluff oh, over the- whoever's not here. I just kind of act like we miss him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just a next next minute mentality, you know. Um, so Bridget, today at the at the garden, you had a you had a nice early start today. I mean, obviously, busy day yesterday. Friends, food, you know, drinks. I'm sure, and but yet you were up and at it early and headed to the garden for the matinee against the uh, the Hurricanes, the Black Friday matinee, which is a really stiff test for the Bruins, right? We've talked about. I mean, they haven't had an easy schedule. They just have to this point avoided some of the. I would say other elite teams in the league uh, that they're about to play started with Carolina today at the garden and a lot to talk about in this game, but they were able to come back from down too well, get the overtime win and get that 12th straight home win to start the season, which was an NHL record is an NHL record. Yeah. And so for, by the way, the black Friday game actually most years is a pretty packed house. And I noticed early on that, you know, I usually look around during national anthems and the building was full. Sometimes there's a late arriving crowd. No, today it was loud. It was full. It almost felt a little bit like a playoff game because especially when things got closer. Um, and especially since it was against a team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year. But um, no, the crowd was, was really, really into it. And honestly, there were points in time where you kind of could feel the crowd did factor in um, when they were giving the team energy. Like when Allmark came out of his net all the way to the blue line to clear the puck, they were just losing their minds. And um, when Krejci scored the second goal and it originally was waved off, they were just giving the refs such a hard time that I'm sitting there thinking, if I'm the ref, I'm coming out and I'm just saying it's a goal because (laughs) the crowd was just screaming goal at them for the whole like five minutes of them trying to look at the replay and I was like, these refs are not safe if they don't say this is a goal. So it did actually feel like one of those games where the crowd was somewhat of a factor and just really trying to get them going when they needed to, to get a little bit of extra juice. Um, And they were into it the whole, the whole way. And obviously they knew it was at stake 
Um, it just felt like for in the first period after they gave two power play goals, it was like, oh my God, they got so close to this milestone, this like history breaking start at home, but they might like fall short. But at the same time, you're like, well, they probably will still win <laughs> because that's just how the team has been this year. And it's true. Uh, their mentality is never to just give up. And, you know, they believe in themselves so much. And they were playing the entire third period down a forward and essentially down a, def- a defenseman because Strawman only took one shift in the third. Um, Smith left the game in the second period with an upper body injury and didn't play at all in the third. So, I mean, you could feel it coming, especially once they made it to overtime and they had a power play. They had two power plays in overtime, um, one that carried over from the third and one that ended up being when they scored, um, when Poster scored the power play goal to end it. But you just could kind of tell that's where it was going um, once they once they brought it to overtime. And I was wondering, like, did, would it have – the record wouldn't have – upheld even though they still got points if they lost in overtime but I was like oh is this I mean they made it to overtime but like on a technicality does it still count because they didn't lose in regulation so um doesn't matter because we don't have to do the semantics because they actually won in in overtime so yeah no the streak the streak would have come to an end no doubt about it because end of the day it's it wouldn't have been that 12th win right um but yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of a lot of juice in the arena. Um, you have two really, really strong teams, two teams that have aspirations to represent the Eastern Conference come June um, in the Stanley Cup Finals. And obviously there's history there, right? Like, you know, Bridget, you made a comment uh, about 15 minutes ago when we were talking before we started recording about how it seems like they're playing the Avalanche coming up more than they played Toronto all you know, and, and, and the Canadians and other rivalries. And um and, and my point in, in saying that is, like, the Bruins haven't played Toronto a ton. They haven't played Montreal a ton. They haven't played, like, their organic, you know, longstanding rivals. It's, it's Over the last, like, handful of years, it just hasn't really been there, that, that hatred. Instead, it's been Tampa Bay, and it's been Carolina, who's, who the Bruins have battled mainly in, in, in recent playoff seasons. So the Bruins and Hurricanes have played in the, uh, in the in the playoffs three times, I think, in the last four years. So there's just a lot of, obviously, animosity there, right? The Bruins, they swept them in 19. They beat them in five and 20. Carolina got them in seven last year. So you just knew this was a game that both teams were getting up for, and it was a really solid test for both teams. Yeah, it feels like especially, like, Brindamore and, like, there's there, – like, Brindamore – the rivalry is strong for him. Um, but there was a lot of turnover between this year and, and the playoff team from last year, right? They add Brent Burns. They lose uh, everybody's favorite, Tony D'Angelo. Uh, they, there were, there were Trocek. quite a few. Yeah. They lose Trocheck. They, they had, you know, a, a bit of a difference um, in their team. Goaltending was, you know, actually a question for them last year and, and has rotated a lot for them as well. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a different looking team, but you still got Aho and Svechnikov and um, you know, Nechas and you know, there's there's a lot of guys that it, that do remember it. And you can tell Svechnikov kind of plays agitated when he plays against the Bruins. I mean, he's a little bit like that anyway, but you could see it with him. And he but he's somebody who gets frustrated sometimes when he gets in those kind of games. And he at the very end of the third period 
accidentally uh, threw the puck over the glass, <laughs> trying to like hurry up and get it out and give the Bruins a power play. So yeah, he, he was interesting to watch today, but there was definitely, you could feel the animosity there. Yeah. And a couple of, a couple of guys that weren't in the lineup for Carolina were Max Pacioretty, who wasn't on a team in previous years, and uh, Tebu Teravainen. He wasn't in the lineup either. So obviously two two really good offensive players then weren't in the lineup. And But even with them out, you just saw how difficult Carolina is to play against, in particular if this were to be a playoff matchup down the line. Um, you just – watching this game today reminded me and hopefully it was a friendly reminder to the Bruins and, and they've been looking for this, right? Like they, they don't, the Bruins don't want everything to be so easy. Like you have to be able to go through adversities and trials and tribulations throughout the course of the season um, to be battle ready and battle tested for the playoffs. You don't want to, you don't want to keep walk into the, into the postseason. So the Bruins needed this, this type of game, this type of reminder where, Oh yeah, we're going to play teams in April where this is what the games are going to be like. It's going to be, bigger teams, tight checking teams, teams that play frustrating like Carolina. It's very, very frustrating to watch them because all they do when they get the puck in their own zone is they just flip it high and high in the sky out of trouble. And they make it difficult for the Bruins defense in the neutral zone to gather that puck all the while they're, they're flying their forwards at them full speed and just a very, that's how Carolina likes to play. So. And they play also like a very frustrating, like in your face defensive style too. They do kind of just like right on top of, of you. And especially like on the power play, they weren't really given the Bruins much space to do anything. And, and Bruins ended up going over five on the power play in regulation and then finally scoring in, in overtime. But um, I noticed them just like playing a much more aggressive penalty kill than most teams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes them, they did that last year as well. And it's what made them successful. It's it's their mo under Rod Brindamore, and quite honestly, I think it's a successful formula on the penalty kills. To you don't want to make things too easy for the power play, right? So, but watching this game, Carolina goes up two all, right? Um, power play goal. Thomas Nosek hasn't uh, wasn't able to clear the puck out. By the way, that was that. a great keep by Brent Burns in real time. Like watching it there in real time, I thought it might have come out, but then you see the replay, and you're like. No, he got that. And he was moving backwards and somehow reached the stick. I did think he did a good job um, quarterbacking their power play. Yeah, Brent, I mean, that's what that's what Brent, Brent Burns does best. Um, and, and it was a good keep. It just was, you know, Nosek made it pretty easy for him, you know. But uh, Yeah, and, and that was not an anomaly either. Like, the entire game, it felt like the Bruins were trying to make clears. They either weren't connecting on a pass and, and – make a defensive zone turnover so they can't get the puck out or they can't make the clear fully like over the blue line. And it just felt like that happened multiple occasions. And there were certain times where someone had to make a really good individual play, like Allmark obviously having to make a few extra saves on, on chances after defensive zone turnovers and failed clears. And one, and one play in particular that was actually noted by Montgomery as maybe the turning point of the game um, was in the second period where the Bruins couldn't clear the puck. And then two players were going for it, and Charlie McAvoy just ran both of them <laughs> and took the puck away. So that was after they they weren't able to get it out, weren't able to get it out. Then McAvoy just kind of took matters into his own hands and separated the puck with a big hit. And then the physicality in the second period in general, even Charlie Coyle, who's not you know known necessarily for being physical, Taylor Hall, um, 
few guys with with hits that kind of ratcheted up the Bruins' energy. Yeah, and McAvoy started that shift you were referencing by um, putting um, Shreshnikov on his on his ass, and then that kind of is what got Shreshnikov ticked off the rest of the game. And and like you like you alluded to earlier, you can get him off his game, you can agitate him. Um, but yeah, no McAvoy as he's as he's done for years now with the Bruins. If if the team needs something, he he has a really really innate ability to to understand that. And um, you know you can't you can't just change momentum of a game with a goal on the drop drop of a hat. Like sometimes it takes uh, you know an intangible play to happen, and he, and he did that. But one thing one thing I think that is different for this Bruins team this year uh, as opposed to last year is that if Carolina went up to nothing last year, that was it. Game mm-hmm. was over. Okay. And th- that was the case all regular season against the hurricanes. And it was the case. Most of the seven game series against them last year too. If Carolina got the lead, they weren't relinquishing it. And, and by no. the way, there were, there were games in the regular season where when Carolina got the lead, they just buried the Bruins. And mm-hmm. it was just like, what was it? Like six to one or something. There were some regular season games where it was just a cascade. Once they started scoring, the Bruins just couldn't slow them down, which yes, that's, that's a huge difference this year from last year. And a big, a big part of that difference is David Krejci, right? He wasn't on this team last year. If he's on the team last year, maybe the Bruins win that playoff series, but he's the guy along with David Pasternak who gets the Bruins on the board, makes it two to one. Krejci also eventually later ties the game two to two. Um, but it's, you know, you watch this Bruins team, and last year, if it wasn't Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak and occasionally Taylor Hall or Charlie McAvoy, it wasn't really anybody. But you watch this team now, and you're looking at a third line that has Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall on it right now, right now. And you mentioned Charlie Coyle. He's playing – he's using his size in every way possible. He's using it to shield um, defensemen off from when he's protecting the puck. He's using it to be physical in the corners. Like he's using his, his frame and size. But I guess my point is when you, when you're rolling out Taylor Hall in your third line for now, like that's just depth the Bruins didn't have last year. And that's why they're able to overcome these deficit deficits, even against some of the best teams and, and, and well-structured teams in the league. Yeah. And by the way, I, I was making this point. I think Scott disagreed with me, but I'm <laughs> making this point last podcast that, when you have Taylor Hall on the third line and you ha- are able to have him and Coyle build some chemistry, you're spreading out your skilled guys all the way through the lineup. Like you're you're on a different line. You have Marshawn and then you have Pasternak and then you have Hall. So three lines in a row, you're setting out guys that can just make an individual play and, and you're in trouble. And by the way, you make the point about Coyle being able to shield the puck and use his size and, and use his strength. Um, you want to know who else was doing that today? Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall uh, a few times just decided he was going to go straight to the net, just kind of box someone out, keep them to his inside and push them out of the way and go right on goal and get a chance in the crease. He did that a few times and that's what that line could do. Uh, Smith too can play like that. Um, we haven't seen him do it much this year. But if you think about that line as guys that can just possession, um, first of all, it's kind of hard to take the puck away from those guys. But um, I see the potential for it. It's not 100% yet. Um, And obviously Smith hasn't 
played to his full potential this season and he's out now. And we, we wonder after he already missed time with an injury, um, go, leaving the game with an upper body injury where he could fit in. Agreer also you could throw in there on the right side. Um, Frederick is still out. So that's somebody that eventually you could throw in there again. But um, you'd have to play him on the right side if you want to keep Hall on the left side. Um, anyhow, I'm rambling, but, uh, I just want to say before we move on from just because we were mentioning Smith after the game, um, coach Montgomery said he believes that both Allmark and Smith are day to day, um, and nothing like more long-term and serious. Um, but obviously still awaiting more of a diagnosis because it hasn't been much time. Usually between when we talked to him and when, you know, like the Allmark injury happened, it was only like 20 minutes later. So um, still need more time to be sure, but they were optimistic about both of them. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a tough year for Craig Smith, obviously on the ice production wise, um, not finding a fit in this lineup and he's had some injury issues. So um for his sake, hopefully he's he's okay. Um, Allmark, I'm I'm encouraged by Montgomery's comments after the game. Um, you know, you watch that play, and on the one hand, you're loving everybody diving out to prevent that puck from going into the back of the net. Um, but yeah, Clifton just ended up falling on top of Allmark there. By the way, phenomenal save. I, I watching that live, I thought it was a defenseman who was behind Allmark that made the stop. It was Allmark. It was it was uh, yeah. I think it was his left arm. Yeah, originally I heard Jack make the call that it was Clifton, and it did kind of look like it went over top of Allmark, hit Clifton, stayed out. But it was Allmark. He got he got a piece of it the last second, um, somehow able to make the save despite Grizzlick being like underneath him and Clifton being on top of him. <laughs> so, I mean, it it looked it looked bad. Um, it happened very fast in, in in real time. It was like, oh, okay, what did he hurt his head and then you see the replay and it's like okay no blocker side arm so right arm seemed to be the the issue and then also there was some hints in the post game press conference with Montgomery that it was an arm injury um which was when he said uh he has full range of motion so meaning like okay that usually means like your arms um you know you're able to move everything around the way it should. And it also kind of, I, no way to confirm this because I didn't see Allmark, but I, I think that means like he's not in a sling or anything like that. If he's able to move everything fine. Um, and also Swayman said he, first thing he did was ask him like, are you okay? That's, that's the one thing I care about. And then he said, uh, he's a Swedish Viking. He'll be fine. So <laughs> it seemed like they were pretty optimistic uh, about him uh, coming back sooner rather than later. Uh, and we mentioned the tough schedule coming up. They have Tampa Bay. Then they have the abs twice. They, uh, then they have, they have in December, they're facing twice uh, a hot, devils team as well obviously those devils games are later on in the month but you still want to have both your goaltenders ready to go for tampa bay and two games against the abs for sure and like don't look now but we've we've kind of been talking about this slate of games the last couple of episodes coming up like all right the bruins have a really difficult schedule the next couple of weeks and you know don't look now but they're already three games into that right you've played tampa you've played florida and you've played carolina and you're two and one um and again, that that Panthers loss, which we haven't really touched on, but it was, it was just kind of one of those. I I don't want to blow it off because it's not. You don't want to 
alleviate them completely of blame and, and whatnot and how they played, but it was kind of a scheduled loss. I mean, they've been, you know, you're, you're 17 and three, you've lost, or you're 17 and two going into the game. You've lost two games in like 45 days to start the season. Obviously you're due for a loss. Um, you're just, starting, you're starting your, your number two goalie. Like you're, you're resting all Mark because he needs it. And, and you can trust Swayman, but like if we're talking about, you know, riding a hot hand, they needed to give all Mark a break. So you're starting your number two rather than your number one goalie. You're it's the, the last game before the holiday. <laughs> um, it's away in Florida. It's, you know, you almost want to write it off. They did have some issues that carried into the game against Carolina, though, and that I think are are worth mentioning and of concern, which was the penalty kill. Um, they allowed three power play goals against Florida. They allowed two power play goals in the first period against Carolina. And actually, Montgomery, after the game, said, um, I thought we were a little hesitant on the penalty kill. Um, and he also said that he thought that they – they just looked not like themselves. And then Sacco, one of their coaches who is in charge of some of the special teams and penalty kill, um, had a talk with them after the first period, and he thought they squared a few things away. So they might be on the uptick of that because they did look better on the penalty kill later on in the game against the Hurricanes. But, um, you know, there is a concern there um, with not being able to kill off as many as they have. And, by the way, there is a little bit of relief coming because Forbert – is coming back and he's one of their best penalty killers and they were number one in the league on the penalty kill before they lost forward and the numbers have only gotten worse since he's been out so it feels like they're missing that reliable defenseman to just help with the clears clearing has been an issue clearing has been an issue and it's i think they've you may have already said this um so it might be repeating you but it's been six games in a row that they've given up a power play goal against so um it's definitely, you know, it's 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 pro- it's probably a little bit more than just not clearing it, like like I said earlier, and and like you said too, like it's obviously a huge part of it. But um, there's probably there probably is something that structurally they're just not maybe they're not being aggressive enough when when the opportunity presents itself. There was um, a little but, bit of an issue with rebound control as well today. I felt yeah. that sometimes there were, one time in particular. I think it was on one of the times that they scored. Allmark makes a positional save where he knows he can, he doesn't have to, to try to stop it, like hold on to it. He can give up a rebound and push it, force it into the opposite side where there's space. And usually then defenseman forward grabs it, clears it, and they weren't able to do it this time. So it's just a disconnect, maybe a little bit between defenseman and goaltender. Um, sometimes that can be fixed with communication. Um, or just maybe watching enough tape and realizing like, okay, we got to clear pucks out of, out of the front of the net a lot quicker, a lot more efficiently. Yeah. And you know, another thing too, that'll help them not give up so many power play goals is not taking so many penalties. Uh, they've been going to the box a lot the last handful of games. And I think that obviously that does two things. Number one, it gives the opponent a higher probability of scoring on a power play. But also, it, it tires out your penalty kill units, and it just and it just it gets the team out of sync, out of whack, five on five. There hasn't been a ton of five on five hockey the last couple of games for both teams, um, whether it was versus Florida or Carolina. And but yeah, you got to stay out of the box. There's been way too many. There's been way too many, uh, you know, stick infractions, um, high sticks. Um, a lot of high sticks, a lot for of high sticks. and against. I know you. Th- you think Mike Riley was out there? 
but but he's not. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah. but I will say, though, there were some questionable calls and non calls uh, in both of the last two games. The Florida game, there was, you know, it wasn't the tightest, the best refing refing job that they could have done, and. It felt like there was at least three missed calls against Carolina where, you know, the Bruins were on a penalty kill and then they got tripped and then you're thinking, oh, okay, this will go four on four. And then the arm stayed down. And there was a few times where things got let go, especially a few trips that I can remember. Um, and then to state the obvious, getting the call wrong originally on the Krejci's goal that they waved off for goalie interference when Felino was clearly pushed into the crease, um, wasn't going there on his own. His feet were outside the blue paint and then he got pushed right in um, onto Kachekov and made him not be able to make the save, but that's on your defenseman. I think it was Pesci um, who ended up knocking Felino in. I have no idea why it took so long to make that call on the replay. I have no clue what, what took them that amount of time because it was like as soon as you see the overhead view of it it's like okay I know I know what this outcome should be but they they didn't uh yeah, it took because, like what five minutes <laughs> yeah, it felt like it, forever it was it was four it was four for sure but it's just like I feel like they take that amount of time because because they call it no goal and and, and you know they they have to make sure that that it's completely the opposite if they're going to overturn what they called. But to that but to that point, it's just like I feel like referees in the NHL nowadays when it comes to offsides, when it comes to, um, you know, goalie interference calls, whatever, they're so quick to wave off the goals because they know they can review it. But it's like, you know, I don't know. It's like it should be it should be just first nature to to just call it a goal and then review it. And if it's a no goal, you're gonna review it. But if it's if it's a goal and you're and you're and you're waving it off just because you want to cover your bacon, it's like I don't know. It's just it's just it's annoying is all it is. It's like you know, call it a goal on the ice because you couldn't have seen goalie interference. There wasn't goalie interference. So what are you calling? Like it's just it, it's like you're just trying to be conservative, but that's just dumb. I don't know. So at least they got it right, right? If they, we'd be obviously in a different tune here if if they called that a no goal because they were afraid to overturn their original call. Yeah, which and felt it, like it felt like they were looking for any excuse to uphold the original call, and that's why they took so long. Um, yeah. They couldn't find it, and that, like I mentioned before, that crowd would have <laughs> been so so awful. And you well, know was, what? They probably don't win that game if the if the refs get that wrong. Maybe not. I was concerned that there was going to be a um, a repeat of what happened in New Jersey with all all the beer cans because once something goes on, viral on social media, people start to realize oh maybe we can do that then if we get pissed off so <laughs> or fortunately it didn't happen uh, they called it a good goal so and you know the Bruins deserved it because if that if, if that wasn't a goal and they ended up losing the game I would have been rip shit because I hate Carolina just there's something Carolina's tough enough to beat you don't have to beat Carolina and the refs right so and, and Rod Brindamore you know for a guy who played the game the way he did I don't know what I don't know why he's you know so uh skeptical like it's like buddy what do you you have the replay in front of you. Like you saw Fel Felino didn't even touch him. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And Felino gets, you know, I feel like he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. A lot of times they see him down there and they're like, ah, oh, he probably interfered. <laughs> yeah. He, he was giving that ref an earful. I mean, that was, 
that was it was it was like he was talking to like his kid who was like you know did something his mom told him not to do or something he was like in that <laughs> ref's face um like no 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 you're you're wrong will you do your effing job <laughs> i um, hope he doesn't say that to his kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably um one one person up front though we haven't talked about today we talked about him briefly last podcast but he just continues to impress me um is pavel zaka like he's just he's a he's a really really solid player um and i don't know in new jersey if he just I, I wasn't watching him on a gamely basis in New Jersey, so I, I'm not going to speak speak to his time there. But, I mean, people were frustrated with him there, Devils fans. Maybe he just didn't – I mean, we saw we saw Jake DeBrusque play not to his capabilities in Boston here, and it was because of, you know, off-ice reasons or he didn't like the coach or whatever. Something similar could have been happening like that for Zaka in New Jersey because he he's a really, really smart hockey player. He's a, He's one of the better skaters on the Bruins. The yeah, entire he's, roster. he is. He's he's a great skater, and he looks even better when he's playing alongside Krejci and Pasternak, and the sp- speed that Pasternak has, and the playmaking ability that Krejci has. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you know we're not even talking about Taylor Hall on that third line if it's not for Zaka showing that he's he's more than capable. And again, it's not. This is just it's good problems for the Bruins. Not, it's not a problem. It's 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 just good for the Bruins to have this this amount of depth and these different combinations that they can go to depending on situations and depending on opponent, it's, it's, it's all gravy, you know, let everybody get comfortable playing with each other. It's, it's, it's all good for me. The one, you know, you don't want to have the same combinations all year and then somebody goes down and now you're in a situation where people are all out of sorts because they haven't played with this guy or that guy. Everybody seems to be having chemistry with no matter who they're playing with and they all get along, which is apparent. So it's, it, it, it looks like they're just rolling right now, you know, up front. Not only do the Bruins have, you know, well, five, five Czech guys that were in the lineup tonight, six, if Lau goes up, not only do they have, you know, all those Czech players, there's Czech media and that there was two or three Czech um, speaking media members that interviewed Krejci and Pasenak after the game as well. And I was like, oh, I would love to like, just listen into what they're asking him. Cause who knows? I mean, obviously they're looking at everything from a completely different perspective. Um, but I, do not, in fact, no check. So uh, I didn't get to hear that. But it's just funny how much of a like a check presence there is on the team. And even, you know, you got to think that that helps Saka feel more comfortable um, and, and be able to integrate into the team a lot faster. And I'm just looking it up right now. But to to, to the point of, of Zaka, looking at the time on ice today, he – he was he was fourth in Bruins forwards in time on ice behind Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasternak. So, you know, it, it just goes to show that Montgomery really likes this, really likes what he's seeing out of him as a player too. It's not, you know, it's so he's doing he's he's making plays, you know, with and without the puck on his stick. And he's he's for a new player, he's fitting in just fine. In fact, he's doing more than fitting in. He's you know his his points might not be crazy right now or astronomical, but he's like I said. He's making things happen. He's a he's a smooth skater. He's a he's a very very skilled skater. He's good he's good with the puck on his stick. Um, he's I a great addition f- for them. I, I have this feeling that he's been so close to scoring the last few games that's like it's right there. Like at some point it's gonna go for him. Um, he's been getting. I, I can remember like a chance he had like low slot that was just a really quick turnaround shot, and he he's been getting to the net. And I just feel like eventually for him. It's gonna, it's gonna have to, you know, start going. It just seems like a matter of time. Um, to further the point about just being able to see who plays 
best with everyone and the luxury they have with that and Montgomery wanting to try, try out different combinations because he can. And because eventually in the long run, you, you have all this information and you're able to make, say, say at some point team does go stagnant and, or like uh, two periods of a game and it's, it looks bad. Okay. Well, we're going to move, you know, the perfection line back together or, or what have you Uh, to, to push that a little further. Their defensive pairs, the last few games, they've been jumbling up as well. Um, today, I noticed, especially in the third period, because they only gave Strawman one shift in the third period. He only ended up with eight minutes and 44 seconds of ice time. So he was getting very minimal time towards as, as the game wound down and, and things got closer um, and it became crunch time. So they were trying all sorts of different combinations. Um and last game they had Zaboral in. Uh, Clif- Clifton's played with it seems like everyone on the team at this point. Um, they were moving McAvoy with Grizzlick and Lynn Holm at different points, and it just feels like they were doing the same thing, which they had been more conservative with it in terms of defensive pairs. But over the last few games, you really see a lot of changes there. No, for sure, and 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 I actually, uh, I. I don't necessarily like it to to be honest with you, just because I really thought I don't think it's a coincidence that Clifton has gone a little bit quiet the last couple of games, and that's because they've been trying to force feed the Carlo Lindholm pair, and it just it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work for me. And Zaboro Clifton Zaboro Clifton is not an ideal pair. Well, Zaboro Bobby Orr is on an ideal pair right now. I am <laughs> I am very down on Zaboro. Um, I actually I, I I agree with you. I actually think Strawman has more upside as well as more downside. So it's like kind of an interesting thing where it's like, okay, he's older. Sometimes he's a little slower to puck. Sometimes like he really doesn't have that offensive side of his game. Um, so it, sometimes it feels like, okay, he's more of a veteran guy. He makes some, some plays he's supposed to make, um, but he could also be a liability. So I'm like, I, I lean towards Strawman, but at the same time, there's pros and cons with that too. Well, is Zaboral, it's just he's a he he's a, he's afraid out there. He, he he's he's not at least Strawman will take a hit. You can't be a, you can't be anybody in the NHL, but let alone a defenseman and be afraid to take a hit. Like, you know, you watch that play, you watch that play against Florida and it's a it's a massive goal against. I think the Bruins were I think they tied the game 1 to 1 on a McAvoy power play goal. And then, you know, Florida goes down the other end. They dump the puck in. Zaboro's first there. He's got nobody on him. He 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 felt the pressure. He had plenty of time. He he elected to just not get the puck because he knew somebody was going to eventually come and hit him. And he tr- instead he tried to shield, you know, shield the oncoming forechecker who wasn't even there yet. Eventually the guy gets there, pokes the puck off his stick, puts it in front of the net, and Florida goes up 2-1. to one. Bruins up losing, end up losing the game. And it's like – it's not the first time this happened. It ha- I think it happened against the Rangers in Madison Square Garden where Zabor went back and just totally just didn't t- didn't play the puck because he didn't want to get hit. It's like, buddy, you are not a regular in this lineup. What? Who do you think you are not not going back to take – like, what are you doing? Yeah, and so, and, yeah. and so that kind of just furthers the fact that Forbert, though they've still been winning, Forbert 
coming back in the lineup could be a big deal in, in, in the long run in terms of not seeing a letdown because you see a little bit of cracks here and there from those guys that we mentioned. Um, and Riley, it doesn't look like he's coming back. Like it, it seems like he's getting dealt. Um, there, I saw some Providence Bruins reporters. Um, uh, I think Bruins network, which is my friend, Anthony Kwiatkowski tweeted that um, he had talked to someone who had heard of the Bruins trying to shop um, Riley and, and the deal would involve having to have the Bruins having to retain some of the cap hit, some of the salary. Um, so they're obviously looking into it, which we could assume anyway, but um, I had seen a little bit of reporting on that this week. And it just seems like the Bruins have given up on him completely. And I don't know if they elevate him back to, to Boston at any point before he gets moved. Um, I know the Rangers traded Ryan Reeves to Minnesota and the Rangers name have been mentioned in having interest in Riley along with Tampa Bay and Montreal and a couple of others. Um, so I'm not sure if the Rangers are trying to clear up space for an eventual move there. I'm not really sure. Obviously it seems like Riley's, you know, days in Boston are numbered. It's just a matter of, you know, he'd be gone yesterday if Sweeney had somebody to trade him to, to take him. Right. So, um, but you know, as far as, as far as the world goes, like um, it's, it, you know, I'm willing to put up with players who make mistakes um, when it's, when, when efforts not, not in the question uh, for Zaboral, he just doesn't, he just, he's like I said, I think I said it a few weeks ago, he doesn't have uh he doesn't have a motor is what I think I said. He, he, he's just out there. He's just out there. He, he, you know, it's, Which is he's, really, he's, he's not a gamer is my point. It's unfortunate too, because there was a lot of hope for him coming into the season that the injury that he had that knocked him out for the majority of the year, he never came back from it was fully healed and he was feeling comfortable and feeling confident um, in the way that his recovery had gone, his health, um, it almost was like he was getting a new lease on life and coming into the season, there were a lot of high hopes for him. Um, and those just, there are a few guys you can think of that came in with higher expectations and they ended up with, despite the fact that most of the team is playing to or above the potential he thought they had the Riley Zaboral Smith. These are some of the guys that, um, have faded when we didn't necessarily expect them to fade. You know, and, and when it comes to Saboral, and I believe I don't believe I'm mistaken because I'm looking at Cap Friendly, but he's he's making just under one four this year and just under one four next year, um, and then he's a, he's a UFA, and it's one of those situations where it's like, is it could he be a guy you try to move right? Like, would teams be willing to take on him at one four as opposed to Riley at three eight? whatever Riley's making. Yeah, and, then, and the like, Bruins you know, still having to take half of that, then it could right. be similar numbers. If yeah. Exactly, exactly. So maybe maybe that could be something that they explore too. But, you know, it's it, if you put on if you put on the Bruins jersey, unless unless you're Mitch Miller, um, I'm not, I'm never going to I'm never going to root actively root against you. Like I'm I, I want these guys to succeed like hello. So I'm not like going out of my way to, to, to shit on Zaboral. I'm just telling you what I see. He's a guy who's battling for position on this roster. He goes out there every game that he's out there and he tries to rely on his 
natural ability to make the first pass here and the first pass there and his skating ability. But when it comes to the nitty gritty of the game, which he just doesn't, he's just not there for me and bailing out on a play that leads directly to a goal that ends up being not the game winner, but pretty damn close to it. Cause it's, you know, you, you never recovered as a team. So, um, you know, that, that's my thoughts on Zaboral. Um, Clifton, I think that he mentioned, I think, uh, did you have the interview with Connor or was it Scott? Yeah. It was you. Yeah. So when you talked to him, he, he, he talked about having, um, having to step up his game with elevated minutes in the absence of McAvoy. And it's one of those situations where when things are asked of you, you step up to the occasion. And then when somebody comes back into that lineup, it's only natural to maybe kind of cower right under their shadow a little bit. And um, I don't think that's the case with him. I just think that taking him away from Lindholm didn't help because he was playing a really, he was playing the best hockey he's ever played as a pro alongside Lindholm. And quite frankly, Lindholm to me looked as good as in a Bruins Jersey when he was with Clifton as if he was with anybody mm-hmm. else. I, so I just, I, I know they're trying to maybe get Carlo going and this and that and, find different combinations just to have them but but like do you need to get carlo going like no. i feel like carlo is, is the same player with most combinations and he just played like he's not an offensive guy you're not like oh let's see if we can get him to jump in the play more no you don't necessarily even want that <laughs> so um he had like a shorthanded uh chance in the game today but other than that other than him teeing it off from the point you're not like trying to get him going offensively or anything like right. that so i agree with you on that point that and then it'll be interesting when Forbert comes back because that changes the dynamic as well. Um, do you do like somehow a Carlo Forbert pair? It doesn't make a lot of sense on paper, but um, it does yeah. if you if it, it does if you tell them to use their size and just box people out and keep them to the outside. I think again, if if Clifton's going to play the way he was playing earlier with Lindholm, like I just think the Bruins are better off just accepting the fact that we're going to put Carlo in the third pair. And, yeah. you know, if, if it has to change down the road, down the line, it has to change. But I just think it's not, it's no coincidence that, you know, Clifton isn't as noticeable right now because he's playing with Carlo and when Carl, or I don't know if he's playing with Carlo, maybe he was playing with Strawman. Well, he know. was, yeah, he was playing with Strawman to start the game. And he also last game was playing with Zaboral. Right. Um, yeah. So it he, just, yeah. So wait, and he's somebody that brings those intangibles as well. So even though, he wasn't as noticeable. He's still laying hits on guys. Like he's still able to affect the energy level of the game and, and, you know, step things up physically. And he has done that consistently throughout the season, though he was showing offensive signs um, and, you know, puck carrying and puck moving um, signs that he maybe didn't have in past seasons. Um, And you don't want him to slow down, right? You want to keep the momentum going for him. So maybe move him back with Lindholm and, and keep, you know, McAvoy Grizzly like a pair. And I'm perfectly happy with how those look, but there is going to be some sort of shakeup probably when Forbert comes back, just because, um, I mean, technically you could go Forbert Carlo, but what that looks like offensively is not really what Montgomery has described as his style, which is that he wants more of an offensive minded, back end um especially in like joining the rush and different you're not really gonna see carlo and forbert joining the rush too much so I, but yeah, then but again I, yeah. you know scoreboard yeah get, no, them, exactly. get them in there exactly i, I don't know i just kind of think like if you if you have carlo and forbert on two different pairs 
I think to play devil's advocate, you're kind of giving yourself. You're slowing down two pairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, sort of. Like, I, I, you know, I just think like if if the Bruins come at you with 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 McAvoy and Grizzlick and then and then Lindholm and and and, and Clifton, I just think. I just think you're a much faster team because it all starts with transition. And then, like I said, you can spot, you can spot Carlo and, and, and Forbert with D zone draws and, you know, different, you know, it's just, there's ways to go around it. And, and again, like you know, Forbert and, and, and Carlo, like, they know how to play hockey. Like they can, they're capable of making breakout passes, but it's just a matter of, I don't know. It's just, it's just how I feel. I, I, I Clifton was playing so well. Lindholm was playing so well. They've both gone a little quiet in the production category, the last couple of games. And I just think there's something to that. Um, now, obviously yeah. Lindholm played 26 minutes tonight and McAvoy mm-hmm. played 28. So he's obviously affecting the game in other ways. It's just, yeah, they I just both had it. played. They both had played over 25 minutes in regulation. Um, they had eaten a lot of time. Like we mentioned, because Strawman was getting less time too. that left more minutes for other guys. Um, McAvoy getting power play time again, uh, Lindholm with time on the second unit power play. Um, one guy that never seems to fade is Charlie McAvoy. Um, and a few more points to make about him. Um, we already mentioned that one of his hits was kind of the turning point of the game and he didn't have a point on the scoreboard tonight, but he was still obviously an influential player, uh, for the team. And so when coach was asked about him, after the game, he gave another one of his little, um, you know, Montgomery-isms and said uh, he likes to compare the team to animals. So he said he's got God-given talent and the heart of a lion. <laughs> so that's, that's Charlie McAvoy. Uh, that it, and Marshawn is a Tasmanian devil, and Greer is a tiger. I think I think Monty just reads like 15 to 20 fortune cookies every game before every game just gets these things in his mind because these are not thoughts a normal person has before a game <laughs> dragons and, and 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 tigers and bears it's just you know oh my it's just i don't know what the hell is wrong with this guy but i love the poo bears and the meth bears yeah exactly exactly no i mean you know mcavoy like you, like we said um just looking more and more comfortable like i said i think i think the game against um uh, what game is it we were just referencing? Uh, what what game did they have? Okay, so Tampa and the game before Tampa, I forget who it was against, but he had uh, he had six points in those two games. And we commented on the last podcast about how offensively you see him getting back to, to who he is. Um, but this game in particular uh, really showed you, all right, he's got the confidence physically um, in that aspect of his game too now. Mm-hmm. It was that Chicago game. Yes, that's oh, that's right. How could I forget? Um, yeah, yeah. well, it's kind of forgettable. Um, but I mean, it was a huge win, but still a little forgettable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Against but a just, team that you're not worried too much about. Yeah, but but, but like you know, all, now it's all coming together for him. Like he he showed he showed that the offense is now back. Um, and again, even when he first started this year, back from injury, like he was playing great especially for somebody who hadn't played and was just coming off of an injury and had no preseason to speak of, obviously. But what I, what I'm saying is like Mac McAvoy is when he's on his game, he's, he's a top, you know, two, three, four defenseman in the national hockey league. And so he's, he's at that point now he, he, he's gotten back to that level of play, which when you're first coming back the first few games, you're just getting your wind under you, your timing. Um, but his, his offense is there. He's, his reads are there. And the physicality is now there too. Like, you know, Shvechnikov is a, he's a big boy. He likes to play physical. 
Uh, you alluded to the taking the two guys out at once, the bowling pin, the bowling ball uh, move. So he's he's there. He's back, and he looks like a hockey player now too. He's got he's got the black eye and the stitches oh, and stuff. Poor kid. Oh, it's not good. Um, yeah, he doesn't shy away from being physical. Um, and his uh, oh no, his nose, his one whole half of his face is just swollen. Uh, that happened against Florida. He his nose has a giant cut on it now, and he went um out Thanksgiving to serve turkey and pies and the Bruins had all these pictures up and I'm like is that Charlie McAvoy because that's how he looked like Chucky from Child's Play more like that's yeah that's how uh (laughs) um unrecognizable his face was that first day after after getting (laughs) injured and he did go down the tunnel for a little bit in that game against Florida and came back which is obviously encouraging, but for a second, you're like, Oh no, like that. This is not, there's some players like, okay, we have depth at defenseman, but you lose Charlie McAvoy and that's a different kind of story. Absolutely. No, no, it's, it's a, it was a huge, huge um, sigh of relief there. So uh, I guess we haven't really touched on the ending Bridget of this game. Um, Maybe we did briefly, but uh, David Pasternak scores his 14th goal of the season. Um, oh, wow. I'm looking at the league leaders right now. J- Jason Robertson in Dallas has 16 goals. What a, what a good story he's been the last couple of years. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so Pasternak gets the game-winning goal in the power play. He is uh, – he's he's uh, where is he now? Oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, so he's second in the league in scoring. Right behind McDavid. So McDavid's got 35 points. Pashnak has 32. Robertson has 31. Drysaddle 31. So we, you know, so he's he's playing some phenomenal hockey. Um, gets the game-winning goal in the power play in his office, um, and gives them gives the Bruins the NHL record for for home wins to start a season, which is, um, you know, anytime you can talk about NHL history, we'll talk about it for sure. I mean, that's 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 pretty wild. Um, <laughs> when we're t- considering we're talking about a team entering the season where it was survive, 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 survive until Thanksgiving. Right. And here we, here we are at Thanksgiving and they're, they're 18 and three, not bad. Um, and, in given the obstacles, the Bruins had to overcome from the drop of the puck this year with key guys out, um, for this to be the year that they set an NHL record for consecutive home wins to start a year, uh, at 12 and 0, in addition to their overall record of 18 and three, it's just like to say, like anybody saw this coming just doesn't even begin to describe how, how unfathomable unfathomable this start is for them. And just a historic week in general with Bergeron getting his 1000th point. And then, um, you know, that's a, a big accomplishment, individual accomplishment, even though it feels like a team accomplishment because a lot of the guys that have been around him for a long time, like Marshawn have helped him, you know, set them up for that. Like, um, so they're a huge part of those points as well. Um, so just that, even that felt like a team accomplishment. Bergeron was honored um, in the first period in one of the time, media timeouts. Um, he was, they showed him and they showed his 1000th point, like the highlight. And then they, they had the tribute for him up on the board and the cameras on him. And he's just like waving like awkwardly because he hates the camera being on him and he hates like any sort of 
recognition of himself at all. And he talked about it after the game. And he was like, I was really hoping they took the camera off me. <laughs> it was very much done with having the camera on me because he just doesn't like that kind of stuff. He was more willing to talk about the history of, of it and, and the accomplishment. And obviously all of them were asked about it. Krejci was asked, um, you know, when you decided to come back this season, did you have any idea that this is going to be the start the Bruins are going to have? And he was like, no, none of us could really predict this one. Um, obviously, they knew they had a good team, but they didn't know they had a team that could just be so ridiculously resilient. And by the way, you could be a great team and still have at least one loss at home at this point in the season. Like they could, they could have even in like a close game could have been, you know, an overtime loss today, like today, but they haven't. So um, to be perfect at home is more than just like, you're like a feat of a good team. It's a, it's unheard of, obviously first time in I think 105 years um, that any NHL team has done it. So, and Bergeron said that too. He's like, it's the league's been around so long over a hundred years. So to, to do something like this is a big deal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think of the greatest teams to ever to ever play in the nhl they never did this right like it that's the best way to look at it um so it's crazy did you i I meant to ask uh they didn't show it on tv so i couldn't really tell did you notice in person if the hurricanes bench recognized bergeron when they uh when they they did yep that's that's good i was i I was curious to see if they if they did that but they didn't show they showed they did on TV, they like the camera that they use on TV was like ice level camera up at the scoreboard that like had Bergeron's name. I was like, why the hell would you choose an ice level camera to look up at the scoreboard? Like you have cameras around the rink, you know, show the benches, you know, show this or that. It was just kind of like they showed Bergeron for like a second on the bench, but they didn't show like they didn't really show the, the crowd oh, much or the opponents well, or anything. In stadium, it was very different. In stadium, it was just Bergeron up on the board for like. Uh, like it felt like two minutes straight and he was like please take me off the board he kept waving and like looking around like oh I'm still up there okay I'll wave again uh and then you know you'd think they would have panned to like some of the guys but no they just kept it on Bergeron I mean sure give him his moment obviously he deserves it but he was uncomfortable as hell and yeah there was uh you know the building obviously got really loud for him and I'm sure he appreciates it but he'll never talk about himself um ever so and and the other team obviously the, the hurricanes showed him respect um during the during the timeout i know i guess i didn't realize they didn't show it on tv but um how could you not it's patrice bergeron right no yeah exactly i was kind of like oh, that's things things you like to see in that moment is kind of like the the entire atmosphere and yeah they didn't show much of it so um Bridget, the Bruins have three days off. They actually have a pretty quiet week here. They have uh, they got three days off, and they play the Lightning on Tuesday night. Then they have another like th- four days off, right? And then they play on Saturday uh, against the Avalanche. So, and then Monday against Vegas. So the schedules they they have an opportunity here to rest up between some really tough matchups, which I think is important, right? I mean, you know. You don't want to be playing these these great teams in a you know in the middle of like a you know three and four because it's just you're not you're not going to be able to give them their best and properly prepare for them. So uh, I think this I think these off days as much as it sucks for us because we like to watch them play, um, 
especially when they're playing like this. I think it's I think it's good for the team to, to rest up. Um, if Derek Forbert is available at some point in the near future, they're going to have to make a decision because they're going to be up against it uh, cap wise, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no when he comes back. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if when he comes back, there's no more uh, rope, right? Like they have to make a decision on something. Yeah, unless for some reason they put all markers Smith on IR, which doesn't look like they're going to have to do that. So um, unless they somehow find more money to put on IR, then yeah, they're at the end of the line here. They, which they've, they've gone farther than we thought, right? We thought when McAvoy came back, that was it. But because of the forward injury and, and putting him on long-term IR, um, I assume that the move is coming soon here. We, we haven't really heard, too much about the progress of Forbert, though. Um, so we'll we'll see when he's available. But right, I mean, saying reporting on reporting that somebody's skating in practice doesn't really help you when it was a uh, a broken finger, right? Like that's not going to affect their legs. So you can't really read too much into that, other than the fact that you know he's out there and whatever. But um, all right, uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? Oh well, you know they finally t- today technically they released the winter classic jerseys um, that we already got a chance to look at and and react to the other day because it was leaked early. And Mm -hmm. those are in fact the jerseys that we gave what, like a C C plus (laughs) C C plus with the potential to look like a, look like a B plus on the ice. Maybe I'm sorry. They could, they'll look better on the ice, but it was a very anticlimactic reveal because of the leak early. And because Mm -hmm. the, the response was like, eh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah well i'll say this i mean they're better than pittsburgh's that's not saying much i think pittsburgh's are pretty bland i mean I, I think i think i can understand if people if people tell me pittsburgh's are better i would disagree but i can see why one would think that i mean it's because it's it's like a light cream and it's kind of simple and whatever i, I think they're kind of i don't think there's much to them um but yes yes they technically did unveil them today and I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting one. I, I'm not not to pull, not to sound like Scott. I don't really buy jerseys either. But if I were to buy a jersey, it probably wouldn't be this one. Why so. do you just buy like a meth bear beanie and yeah. call it a day? Yeah, or like a starter jacket or something. Or the Pooh Bear. The Pooh Bear is nice. Yeah, no, that is nice. It, hey, just like they're undefeated at home, they're undefeated in the Pooh Bears. So mm-hmm. I think they should keep them for longer than. Uh, January, because I think I think Scott said that they're, they're done wearing them once the new year happens, so which sucks. I think they're gonna have to change that. They already tried to wear them an extra time, and <laughs> they had to change them because they came out in warmups wearing white, and I forget who the other team was. But Vancouver. They're, all, they're also wearing white. And they're like, ah, oh, that's right. You can't just wear yeah. theirs whenever. No, the Bruins thought it was a good idea to to throw white jerseys on when they're playing a team from british columbia that's like in the middle of a two-week road trip and oh you guys you guys don't have your homes all right i guess we'll throw ours on i don't know what <laughs> yeah, that thinking. was odd that was really odd yeah so much jersey drama this year yeah why wow, what was the other drama anything what was the other drama no it's just you know the, the all the reveals and all oh, the oh, yeah, yeah. retros and right, right. everything <laughs> yeah been a lot yeah. of fashion segments a lot of fashion segments and the, hey I don't think anybody's complaining. We like to talk fashion here. So 
Um, poor, poor Scott. His 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 U.S. soccer team. I think has like one goal in two, in 180 minutes of, of soccer. So that's tough to sell the sport <laughs> domestically. Yeah, when- but you know, there. But uh, I saw someone tweet that the U.S. is undefeated against England since 17 whatever, like 70, forever. 1776. <laughs> but yeah, so. <laughs> and then I saw Steve Peralt tweet. Uh, <laughs> The is it what was it USA uh, beats England nothing to nothing? Yeah, <laughs> because it felt like they were gonna lose to England, so he just said yeah. USA beats England zero zero. I saw that. I saw that trending on Twitter. I, it, the the tweet the the trend was was yeah US US wins one US wins zero zero. <laughs> that. So whatever. Um, I don't know soccer, bro. That's I don't know how much the overlap is in the soccer crowd, the World Cup watching crowd to the Bruins crowd. I was getting texts about the soccer game during me trying to cover the Bruins, and I was like, "Yeah, no, I don't have it on." Someone was like, "Oh, do you you got the game on?" No, you want to know what other game I had on? UMass Amherst, UMass Lowell, and Belfast. <laughs> oh, they oh, is that what they're playing right now? They're playing the friendship four right now, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, look, I res- I respect soccer. I respect, uh, you know, well, I respect Pasta that it's- came out in, I think it was a Belgium jersey after the game. I mean, the guys on the team pay attention. Yeah. A lot I mean, of the I, European guys do. I mean, it's the, you know, as, as much as we focus on hockey, I mean, soccer is, is the most popular sport in the world. So, I mean, I, I respect it for that reason. Like, I, under- I respect that um, for me personally not enough happens in the game for me to watch it, but, um, you know, anywho, I think when we start talking about soccer on the skate pod, there's probably not as many things to talk about hockey left. So I think we're probably good to wrap it up. If yep. you are. <laughs> yeah, we're good. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we will talk soon. Hopefully Scott's feeling better. Um, and we, yeah, we'll probably talk Monday or Tuesday after they play the lightning in the rematch. So thank you for listening. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.